to Doctrine and Devotion, a podcast that explores Christian faith and practice from a Reformed Baptist perspective. My name is Joe Thorne. I'm the lead pastor of Redeemer Fellowship in St. Charles, Illinois. And I'm Jimmy Fowler, executive pastor at Redeemer Fellowship. Boom, boom, boom. Boom. Good day. It is. It was a good day. Got a lot done. I did get a lot done. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I conquered. I prevailed. Really? I, you overcame? I overcame. Mm-hmm. Um, I snatched back things. Grabbed? I, I grabbed it. I, I, I it, you, Probably because I, I blabbed it, then grabbed it. You are I a, named it, then I claimed it. You know, you're an inspiration, I think, to not just uh, me. Of course, me. All right, where are we going with this bit? But there's no bit. Okay, here we go. I was just following your lead. You oh, were talking about how oh. awesome you are, and I'm ba- I have your back. You know what? No, please continue. I have your back. Please continue. Yeah, I no, would you, love to hear more about how awesome I am. Yeah, I, I want to one day reach... And Here grabs the brass ring, you know. You know the, the you know the expression. You ever heard the expression N- grabbing the brass ring? No, that's because you're too young. The brass ring was uh, a ring made of uh, uh, brass. Very good. Okay, good, good, good. And it would sit way on the outside of a merry-go-round, and the game was to lean out and try to grab the brass ring from the oh. merry-go-round, and you were a winner. But it became known colloquially as an expression of winning, of, of getting the win. Yeah. And I've all, I, of course, I am too short. I mean, I was at the did carnival. You ever, did but you I, ever get the brass I can't, ring? Too, my arms don't, they kept me in the tent with the freaks and stuff. That's where ah, I spent most ah. of my time in the carnival. But uh, yeah, you are a gra- brass ring grabbing dude. And I appreciate I feel you like that. it would be like, wouldn't it be like diamond studded for me? No, yeah, you would have a platinum like diamond platinum, studded. Platinum yeah. I think that's mm-hmm. what it would be. I, yeah. I don't do brass anymore. No, you'd also have, probably have those those diamonds that have like a pink tint to them because you're just that kind of fancy. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I know. That's how you know yeah. it's good. Yeah. No, it's, that's how you know. Listen. I don't care how much it costs. It looks... It, mm. oh, for a lady, it looks nice. And, uh, Listen, it's an, it's. I'm not amazing. gendering the color. I'm just saying, like it, that color tends to be a softer. Mm, yeah, okay, it fits, yeah, it fits you. Okay. Have you felt? Have you felt my hands lately? Yeah, you do have. They're very silky, soft. Silky soft hands. Yeah. yeah. Now I'm, I'm not ashamed of it. Listen, um, I'm really excited to talk to our guest today, mm-hmm. and I, I want to get to it. But before we even introduce him, before he is outed, mm. uh, if, well, in case you know they didn't read who it says. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I want to ask him a question. So he can have some anonymity right now. Oh, all right. So go secret guest. You were recently uh, on the mics with Ed Stetzer, I believe, correct? I was over a year ago. Okay. So it was a year ago. Okay. So recently. So, okay. So um, who has the better podcast setup? Mm. Ed Stetzer or the Jofo? You know, I have to say. I think it's you guys. Mm. Ah, yeah, there we go. Yeah. Hey, Ed. There I, we go. I know you're not listening to, but one of your assistants is, hey, tell Ed <laughs> that uh, we win again. And, and your assistant going, you know, since they tweet for you as well, <laughs> and refer to you with a third person. It's so weird. It's like we Ed Stetzer it. brought to you by Ed Stetzer. I love it. It's my favorite thing. Ed, we love you. You are a good guy. Yeah, all right, yeah. But you know what? We're sitting with a better guy, better man, mm. a man that uh, I have a lot of respect for. His name is Raleigh Sadler. He is the founder and executive director of Let My People Go. Uh, it is a ministry. Is it okay to call it a ministry? I mean, I know that's how you think about it, but it's also a, a, an organization. Yeah. I mean, it does quite a bit. Yeah. But um, what Let My People Go is doing, as far as I understand, is they're building um, a network of churches that are um, really seeking to tackle this issue of human trafficking. That's the most generic, general, mm-hmm. non, uh, you know, selling version of it because I I wanted to let you have a chance to talk about Mm -hmm, it. mm -hmm. But Raleigh, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved in this particular cause? Yeah. So I was a pastor, kind of went that route. And then I went to the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Mm -hmm. Kentucky. Oh, did you now? I did. I did. Is that what you learned to... Never mind. Well, you know, it's funny. I like Southern. I was good at When I was there, and I actually put this in my book, which is available where all good books are sold. Yeah, Amazon. Mm. Uh Uh-huh. And I I remember being in class. I walked out, and I had the thought, you know, because I believe in the gospel, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because I believe in the gospel, I don't necessarily think I would ever care about justice or mercy. I Mm. had that thought because... And this was way before that was cool. Right, right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and really, it wasn't until I graduated, couldn't get a job for three years because of an economic downturn. Mm. So I graduated in 07. <laughs> Good timing. It was <laughs> nice. so great. Like, <laughs> Thanks, Obama. Yo, it was fantastic. And um, 
I ended up getting a job at a historically black college and university where I was a campus minister. And it was there where these pastors kind of took me under their wing and they mm-hmm. said, we get that you proclaim the gospel. That's beautiful. That is beautiful. What does it look like to demonstrate it? And it sent me down this road. And I remember taking my students to a conference called Passion in Atlanta, and they were talking about human trafficking and how you could ultimately fight human trafficking from from your faith, in a sense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I remember just feeling convicted and thinking to myself, like, how am I going to fight human trafficking? I wear cardigans. I'm not going to kick down the door of a brothel. Like, what does it look like for Mm -hmm. me? And honestly, ultimately, I stuffed it, tried to run from it, and Mm -hmm. then God just brought me back. I couldn't get away from this. And then about a year later, I would sell everything I owned and move to New York to start an organization to fight human trafficking. That's it's interesting you talk about trying to stuff this down. I think that is a, a natural impulse that people have yeah. when there is conviction, uh, even even like a, an excitement with conviction. Yeah. Why why did you and why do you think we we suppress these big potential movements of God in our hearts when they start to rise up? Well, one, I had no frame of reference. So this was all new for me. I wasn't comfortable at all. Yeah. Plus, I hate taking risks. <laughs> I hate taking risks. They're the worst. I hate being vulnerable, and my, my whole ministry is predicated upon it. It's the worst, but at the end of the day, I had to learn that that's what taking steps of faith is. It's, yeah, yeah. It's stepping into uncertainty, knowing that God is there. Mm. And it may not go your way. Like, I yeah. I mean, that was the thing. I sold everything. I moved to New York, and I was like, you know, I could move there and then move right back because things may not go the way I wanted them to, but but that's not what happened. God just kept providing mm. opportunity after opportunity after opportunity, mm. and I'd never seen that in my ministry at any point prior to that. So, mm. so not only were, you know, you sensed that, that calling, but it was affirmed by as God was blessing you through that, right? Yeah, there was this inner calling, yeah. which I totally ran from. Yeah, yeah. And then there was an outer calling that ultimately kept bringing me back to the inner calling. Yeah, yeah. People would be like, well, Raleigh is called to fight human trafficking. I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> I am not called to fight human trafficking. I'm called to do Proclaim anything but that. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to preach the gospel. That was mm-hmm. what I wanted to do. And it was that constant, you know, I think God is doing something in your life. And I don't think I'd experienced that before. I mean, right. I was totally trying to do the love God, love others, just try to do both of those and figure it out. I never really thought I would have a specific calling because I don't think everyone gets those. Mm-hmm. I don't. I think we want to have those, but I think God's been very clear in his word. You know, here are the two things, focus on these and, and I'll lead you straight. I'll lead you where I want you to go. But Well, it's interesting you know. to see how, the calling of God in individuals' lives does vary yeah. and how he will use the former slave trader uh, mm-hmm. to suddenly spearhead this work of mercy. Um, and he doesn't have the same calling on everybody to do that very same thing, yeah. Right? Yeah. but we all are supposed to have the same heart towards it, the same you know, passion for the truth and for others. So it, I know it winds up working itself out in different ways. So for God to tap you essentially and say, I, I got a calling for you. Well, is... that was my fear, too, because I'm not trained in law enforcement. Mm-hmm. I'm not a lawyer. Like, back when I started this, everyone who did this was in one of those mm-hmm. fields. Right, right. Or they were working with survivors. I was in the church. I was a Baptist collegiate minister. You know, I mean, that's not the first person you think to call when you have a situation of human trafficking. Mm-hmm. Let me call my BCM guy. That's not what you do. <laughs> but for me, it was more like, okay, but how has God worked in my life? How has he shaped me? Yeah. And how can my gifts be used? And ultimately, that led me to this realization that throughout my life, I have seen dysfunction and brokenness in the local church mm. and churches that I've grown up in. I've seen people sexually exploit people in the church. I've seen really rough things. And I've always had a desire to help the church be safe. Yeah, And yeah. the more I thought about it, the more I realized, wow, the gospel of Jesus Christ can motivate me 
to help churches love their most vulnerable neighbors mm-hmm. and in that way fight human trafficking. So, I mean, I think that's really important there because I think we have a narrow view of human trafficking, right? Like I think we think of, especially it always comes up, I think, you know, around Super Bowl time. Um, uh, But I think as I'm hearing from you, there's much more to it. How would, like, what is human trafficking? How would you define that? Whether it's for sex, labor, or domestic servitude, human trafficking is always the exploitation of vulnerability for commercial gain. And this gain may not always be financial, but it's always someone who has more power and control than the person that they're exploiting. And so someone in your community Mm. could be trafficked for sex. They could be trafficked into pornography. They could be trafficked online or trafficked into street prostitution. Those who are trafficked into the commercial sex industry, especially into prostitution we do not refer to them as prostitutes but as people who are prostituted because mm-hmm. ultimately there is force fraud and coercion at play and that serves as the means to exploit someone yeah but then you could live somewhere where that may not be how human trafficking manifests itself it may be labor trafficking it may be someone who is working as a domestic servant or in the hospitality industry who's changing your sheets at your hotel we just if you don't have eyes to see it, you won't see it. Right. And if you're looking for something that came out of a Liam Neeson movie, mm. you're probably not going to see the slave next door. You're probably not going to see the person who is being held against their will or who has been psychologically manipulated because oftentimes there are chains, but they don't always have to be physical. Mm. They're emotional. They're psychological. They're spiritual sometimes. Mm. It's one of the questions I was I was wondering as I knew you were coming in, and that is... Um, I, I, my initial thought is, okay, well, if you're trafficked and you're enslaved, it must mean that there, that you are essentially shackled. You, there is no, you, you are not free to walk away, mm-hmm. but as you're talking about it, I'm guessing that it probably only requires that you don't feel that you can get out. Not that you literally couldn't walk off yeah. or away from them because they, I know how abuse works. So I know that they essentially uh, brainwash you to the extent where you feel like I have to stay with this person to survive. So is, is, so when you say that there is this, um, uh, what word did you use? Uh, not oppression, but exploitation. This exploitation of an individual when you have power, that power uh, doesn't necessarily mean physical power, right? It means right. other forms, psychological perhaps. Yeah, absolutely. And it's ultimately someone who's leveraging something over you. Mm. I've had several friends who have been trafficked for sex and almost every time a video is made Right. They may not willingly mm-hmm. be involving themselves in pornography, but but a video is made and they're told, you know, hey, if you try to leave, that's fine. But I will send this video to your church or I'll upload yeah. this video online. And there was a season where I was getting calls almost once a month for, for a season about, hey, one of my clients had their video up uploaded what do we do wow and we're hearing that with Pornhub right now they go, uh, that's the biggest one right? yeah because you know Pornhub which is basically powered by MindGeek you have no, what's MindGeek it's the company that owns Pornhub okay and basically you have this move to shut them down because over and over and over there are cases of people who've been trafficked whose videos are still on Pornhub and they can't get them down is it because they're user uploaded? Like anybody can upload anything? Absolutely. Okay. Mm. But it, devastating. Yeah, and it's and it's really hard for someone who's trying to get their their life back, right? And who's finally like doing the work of unraveling the control that someone had over them, but now there's this testament to their exploitation mm-hmm. that other people are enjoying, and when we're enjoying that, we're ultimately creating a demand for further exploitation. I know that. Um, because I grew up on porn uh, before the internet, way before the internet, uh, hard porn. I had access to it and there were no rules against it in my house. So I always had it, you know, videotapes and whatnot. And, um, and it had a devastating impact on my mind. Still feel the impact of that today as a 48 year old man. And um, I can remember though, and I don't know who brought it to my attention or how God brought it to my attention, but the, the most devastating in a positive sense, the the most significant uh, blow to 
my interest in pornography was when God began to show me that those are women made in my image. Mm -hmm. God's like, these are women made in my image that you're supposed to love and bless and care for. Mm -hmm. And uh, you are exploiting them by watching, just by looking. And then I began to learn like, there's a whole host of issues why they might even be in that situation from drug addiction to abuse to trafficking, whatever. And it made me so sick mm -hmm. to, not not just that I felt bad for them, but I felt horrified about like, my own heart in that, like your own participation just, in it. Right? It was the it, it was the most helpful thing because exposed a lot to a lot of Bible. That was the most helpful thing mm. that God used to really wake me up. Was really a lot of what you're doing, right? You know, in in your book, vulnerable, and in, in your ministry is is bringing these things to mind. Well, there's one statistic that I put in the book that basically says that the majority of those in the commercial sex industry were sexually exploited at an early age. Mm. And we don't think about that. But in many cases, someone may say, yes, I'm choosing this. I'm choosing mm -hmm. to be in this. But in almost every case, at least according to this one study, the choice was made for them. And there, there is a world where people can try to become empowered through their own disempowerment. Sure. Well, they try to take ownership of it, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not a victim because it's my choice now. Yeah. I'm choosing to do this. Mm -hmm. I'm choosing to do the thing that people have taken from me over and over and over. Are there other misconceptions about human trafficking that, that you find to be pretty common? Yes. <laughs> Raleigh, you wish you could see Raleigh's face. <laughs> yes. What are the big oh. misconceptions? Well, it's interesting because so many people will say, well, you know, I live near a highway. And so... Human trafficking, it, it's, it's definitely happening in my community. Mm. Trafficking, <laughs> human trafficking is not the best term. It's not the best term. In my book, I interviewed Obama's former ambassador at large to combat and monitor human trafficking, Ambassador Luis DeBaca. And we didn't get this in a book, but he basically said, you know, at some point I want to have a talk with you about just the term human trafficking because it's not the greatest term, mm -hmm. but it matched drug trafficking, right. arms trafficking, human trafficking. And so a lot of people think it implies movement. It doesn't. A lot of traffickers grow up in the same community yeah. with those that they traffic. And it's not a kidnapping situation. It's not a stranger danger thing. Most people who are trafficked know the person who's exploiting them. Mm. It could be a loved one. It could be a family member. It could be a so-called boyfriend. It could be a teacher. It's someone from near them now that that doesn't you know i mean there are going to be people who are kidnapped but that's not the prevailing narrative that's a you're saying that that's a, a that's a smaller percentage like that, an outlier yeah, yeah where they go they take them overseas and that whole thing it happens but it's it's not the, the dominant form no most people are groomed most people and that's been one of the big fears with this pandemic especially with mm -hmm. online grooming I mean, the FBI was very quick. Once the pandemic was announced, they were like, okay, watch your kids online. Good. They were, so they were, you felt like they were on it. They were on it. Good. Absolutely. And, and a lot of us have just been saying, you know, here's the deal. Human trafficking doesn't imply movement, but it does imply vulnerability. There's mm -hmm. always vulnerability. And the thing about this pandemic is those who were vulnerable prior to the pandemic are now more vulnerable mm. and those who weren't vulnerable before may be vulnerable for the first time yeah now there's access to them yeah sustained access and the people who were going to exploit before they are more vulnerable and so now they're driven to exploit more mm. you know it's the my worry with the pandemic is that where we are right now this isn't the bad thing we're going to see that our communities have shifted and changed a mm -hmm. lot when we come out of this. Oh, yeah. Because the people who were vulnerable before are going to be more so, and the people who weren't we only know, are now. We, don't, we do not even know the impact no. that this is going to have long-term for mm -hmm. a, a lot of reasons. I don't know. I think, and I think that's what scares a lot of us, those that are paying attention, right? It's like, uh, I've got my own opinion on politics and stuff. Jimmy and I don't get into a lot of it, except last time when Jimmy went full crazy um 
on a recent episode. But uh, I stand by it. Didn't uh, have to apologize. No, you don't have to apologize. Not you're an fine. apology. We're, we're uh, allowed to uh, say whatever we want. Not an apology. But I'm, I'm, I'm. You know what? I'm gonna go harder now. You should. I'm gonna. But I. We're, we are. It's like I'm. I have concerns about Trump. I have concerns about Biden. I am more concerned about what happens after the election with yeah. our culture, just because of the way people have been responding to Trump and or Biden in general. Yeah. And so with, I think you're right um, with this, when you're, you're talking stats and when you're talking, um, you know, misconceptions and what people might not understand, uh, the way you've talked about it, it sounds like it's fair to say that there are, that there is sex trafficking everywhere. Um, what's the likelihood in a given neighborhood of Chicago, a given, like, you know, if you don't know Chicago, Chicago, the main city, um, some people live in the city and then other people live in the various smaller cities outside mm -hmm. of Chicago. If you live in those smaller cities, you do not live in Chicago. Uh, so I do not live in Chicago, but I live in St. Charles. So um, what's the likelihood that there are people who are victims of, of uh, human trafficking in St. Charles? based on your understanding of the stats and your ministry and everything else? So uh, about a couple of years ago, a study came out that said over 40 million people around the world are being trafficked. And you think, wow, why 40 million? Why so many? And the point is human trafficking can happen anywhere because there are vulnerable people everywhere. Mm -hmm. So there are vulnerable people in the city of Chicago, and that's where a lot of people will go. Like there was a um, Chicago Alliance Against Sexual Exploitation study done about eight months ago, nine months ago, oh. that basically said the majority of human trafficking, well, at least the majority of sex trafficking is happening to those in impoverished communities on the South side. Wow. But that's not to say that it's not happening to those in refugee communities. Mm-hmm. But sometimes when I talk to pastors in the Chicagoland area, they'll be like, well, you know, I bet you'd be really busy in the suburbs because there's a lot of refugees. And so there's this subtle mm -hmm. idea that it only happens to people who are from other countries. Right. Mm. It happens to vulnerable people. So it is happening in St. Charles. Yeah. But oftentimes we just don't have eyes to see it. Yeah. And so a lot of times police officers can go into a house and an instance of sex trafficking can actually look like domestic violence because they're mm. often very intermingled. And so what we're saying to churches is, who is your most vulnerable neighbor? How can you find them? Because it's those people in St. Charles who will be trafficked. Mm. And oftentimes our churches do not know who our most vulnerable neighbor is. Mm -hmm. We have ideas because we want to feel smart. And we want to feel like we have our finger on the pulse. But a lot of times we don't, and that's why we need other nonprofits, local law enforcement, local social services to help us fill in the gaps mm -hmm. because it's those people that will be targeted. So early on, you were talking about um, when you're at Southern and you're focused on, you know, hey, I'm going to go pro proclaim the gospel, proclaim the gospel. Yeah. Hadn't really thought about mercy and justice. Right. Uh, the terms weren't really uh, uh, there for you. Um, so as you read scripture and as you look at the Bible, I mean, uh, what do you see it saying about this this evil that uh, of human trafficking? Mm. Well, it's interesting because you you don't see it until you see it, right? Mm. Like you think about how God used the story of Joseph and how there's so much just rich theology in that story, but Joseph was trafficked, right? We don't look at Rahab as someone who could be trafficked. We look at her as someone who's like, well, she chose this way of life, but chances are she was trafficked too. You know, we there's so many stories of prostituted people or people who were enslaved against their will throughout Scripture. But one thing we see over and over and over is God condescending to those who are most vulnerable, him coming to those who are most vulnerable, and not only that, making himself vulnerable to save those most vulnerable. Mm. You know, and I think for me, like tracing that, that theme of vulnerability throughout scriptures was just a very rich experience for me when I was writing the book because I, I realized, and I don't think I'd read this anywhere, but I was just reading, plain reading of the scriptures, 
We were created to be vulnerable, but it was sin when sin was introduced in the garden that created the exploitation of vulnerability. So Adam starts hiding. Yeah. Right? Yeah. They start covering themselves and absolutely and everything stemmed from that. So um, it's like in scripture with, as it does with all sin, uh, when you look at this sin in particular, it just, it assumes its presence in reality, trafficking, right? It's mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. It's there. Mm-hmm. You see it in Joseph, you see it in Rahab or whatever. You see it uh, all over the place. We don't need to have 10, you know, proof texts that yeah. specifically yep. say, this is what sex, tra- sex trafficking is and you've got to be ab- against it. Uh, it's what the scripture says about loving your neighbor and it's how the scripture presents this particular sin. Even Joseph's clearly was uh, the actions of his brother were, are presented as wrong and immoral. Uh, he even says what you meant for evil, God meant for good. So I, I, I like how you, how you kind of set it up is that it's, it's, it's there. It's, it's woven throughout. I want to talk a little bit about your book, uh, Vulnerable Rethinking Human Trafficking. But first, uh, we just want to give a shout out to our sponsor, Cross20. Cross20 is a special live stream conference going down December 29th and the 30th this year. Uh, this is a conference aimed at helping 18 to 25-year-olds finding their place in God's global plan as speakers like David Platt. Mm. Mm-hmm, we like him. John Piper. Mm. Pope Piper's making it. Kevin DeYoung. Ooh, DeYoungs. I love the DeYoungs. DeYoungs, uh, Kevy D. Kevy D. He's, Kevy pres- D. Ke- he's Presbyterian. Uh, yeah, we can yeah. go Kevy D. We can go Kevy D. I, li- I like him. Um, or just D. Kev. D. Kev. I think DK. DKEV. DKEV. Mm, nice. There we go. That's the one, right? Nice. Oh, Jimmy, do you remember what they're going to do? The speakers are going to walk all the participants through something? Uh, the, of course, the Lord's Prayer. That's good stuff. Yep. Mm. Registration is just $10 per person. You can gather a group at your church, campus ministry, or among your friends. And with COVID out there closing down most conferences you know, this year, not not docking D, but we don't, whatever. We don't quit, like we, T4G. Yeah. Quitters. We, we too legit to quit. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Cross 20 has stepped up to make something really good happen. Joe? Cross 20. Mm. Make your life count. Yeah. Make his name known. Register at cross20.com. Boom. All right. So, now Raleigh. You're, Grand Theft Raleigh. Here we go. <laughs> you you wrote a, a, a great book. Um, it's it's pretty big, actually. I actually, I'm like, pretty sure if I take three of Joe's. It's a, it's a, uh, it's a, my, it's my, a man-sized book. That is, Joe, can you, can you hold it? With two hands, yeah. <laughs> I mean, look at this thing. It's, not it's a too, tome. It's, I mean, it, this. You know, there are there are some books that need to be articles, and mm-hmm. then there are very few articles that could become books. This is a this is an important book, and yeah. I love that we have. Uh, and I'm not saying anything about anybody else. I'm just saying I love because I I know Raleigh a little bit that we have a, a godly orthodox. Uh, believer who knows the gospel, loves the gospel, good theologian, and uh, has written a book that people can read and understand and actually experience real change by and, and there's a way this is a way to you know be supporting the work yeah that that you're doing right and go support the guy i saw the car he drove up in that two-tone oh that was that was bad my goodness i know I, I was about to run it i thought it was like uh somebody from out of the neighborhood <laughs> listen this guy's in. putting all his money into this ministry Pray, bless him bless you we will bless have you. links links in the show notes so go and get the links Bro, in the show I'm, notes. I'm gonna put a photo of your car you know what we're gonna start a GoFundMe. That's right. Go go fund Raleigh. Go, go yeah, go fund Raleigh. So you, I mean, you wrote a book, um, and they they always tell you when you're writing a book, you're not going to make any money. It, books don't. You have to sell hundreds of thousands of copies yeah, to actually yeah, yeah, make. Yeah. But that's not. But that's not why people write books. Right. I mean, not in the, not in our world. Right. We write something because we believe in it. We're passionate that's about right. it. I think it's important. Yep. So with where did the book? idea like i'm gonna write a book on this where did where did that come from in the context of doing your ministry and and talking to these churches so when i was in seminary i remember i remember sitting really along this aisle where two at least two of the guys who sat on the same aisle as i did started writing books right after seminary very wise and you know they're known on twitter and um and it's great (laughs) it's great with all their experience yes oh yeah and they yeah. No, yeah, don't say no they're, names. They're no fantastic. Names. No, but like I remember, I was a little punk rock growing up, right? So for me, I'm like anything that smelled of the establishment, I didn't want to have anything to do with. Oh, you did not fit in at Southern. No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. And I just remember thinking like, I'm, I'm like, I will never write a book unless I have something to say. 
And that was my argument. But I kind of prided myself on not writing a book. Sure. You know, I was like, you know, I'm I'm really awesome. That's why I'm not writing a book. Everybody, I'm, I'm going to be faithful to the, the pastorate. Yeah, I'm going to be faithful to the pastorate. I'm going to be a good, humble man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Look how humble I am. Look how humble I am. I'm so humble, you won't oh, know about me. You you guys have no idea. I, I, I feel like you're the same kind, right? Like, we're, well, we're well, very... No, we, we are. I have no books. Uh, <laughs> we're very, we're very <laughs> humble Joe's people. Joe's got five pamphlets. But, you know, for me, like, I couldn't shake what God was kind of speaking into my life, mm-hmm. um, t- to say it very spiritually. I just couldn't stop talking about this, and I was seeing that people were benefiting, and I just suddenly had a desire to say something, and I'm like, mm. I don't know if I'm going to write multiple books or if I'm going to write books on other subjects, but this had to get out because no one else was saying it quite that way. And I was hearing that when I would speak at churches. But they would say, well, when you talk about human trafficking, it sounds differently than when these people talk about human yeah. trafficking. And I'm like, right. Well, I've been in ministry for over 20 years. Yeah. Mm. And so I'm speaking to you because I know what I needed to hear. And it's very great to have someone from the community come and speak on human trafficking. But oftentimes, they may not get the, well, the wheels turning like they want to just because they don't know how to speak church. They don't know how to speak pastor. They don't know... Mm-hmm how to like really put this in words of law and gospel. And that's what like, it's what's supposed to motivate us as Christians, right? It's like, you need a Christian, you don't need it, but it's helpful to have a Christian who can show the audience, right? The, the church, why this matters in, you know, in, from God's perspective, you know, it's, it should break your heart when you see wickedness happening right when i see somebody get sucker punched on youtube it like breaks my heart i'm just like oh my gosh and i just want to hurt somebody <laughs> in retaliation um you know what, that's god's heart yeah, yeah. <laughs> no that's my heart that's I, but but i'm saying like i want god's heart. But, but that is justice right and what i what i want <laughs> i is, love you justifying our sins yeah you come back, you come back. <laughs> you're always welcome back on the program so i it's like we should have this instinctual response of of compassion and empathy for people who are hurting or exploited. Yeah. But we do oftentimes need, and if we don't need it, we're helped when it's broken down into theological, spiritual, biblical categories, um, because then it starts harmonizing with our faith in ways that it might not otherwise. So and, I, and, I totally and I think get part that. of it too is uh, for a lot of believers, it's it's it almost like if it's not spiritualized, it's not important. You know, right. and I think that's a whole different mindset behind it. Like, unless you use certain language, like you're talking about, unless you use certain language, then, oh, then if it's not if it's not spiritualized, it's obviously not important to God. I think one of the beauties of the Christian perspective of human trafficking that we often miss is the fact that it instills hope. Mm. Because it's so easy to learn about human trafficking and just be exhausted. Mm. Like, typically, those who are coming from an abolitionist perspective, they aren't seen as the most fun at parties. <laughs> oh, here he comes. Yeah. But but that's not even what it's about. Like, my goal is I want to help someone realize you're living in a fairy tale. The people that you don't see are being exploited. But at the end of the day, you're not the hero. Mm. That job's already taken. And because God is the hero, because Jesus Christ became vulnerable for us, we are freed to hope because he's bringing a kingdom. And though things aren't the way they're supposed to be, they're not going to stay that way either. Mm. And so we may not, in our own desire for a theology of glory, we may not be the people who fix it. Right. But he will. And so I can keep my head held high even when I struggle with my own sin, I can keep my head held high even when the churches that I'm working with aren't getting it as fast as I want them to get it. Mm-hmm. I can keep going even when I hear about these reports on the news mm. because God loves freedom. He loves justice. And he's going to do what he loves. He's going to bring those things. And he's going to bring his kingdom. Yeah, We just kind of live in that some somewhat awkward already not yet yeah. piece mm-hmm. where we we see the good things coming kind of like a down payment but then we also see the old things the bad things yeah you know they call prostitution the world's oldest profession mm-hmm. but we would probably agree that it's the world's oldest oppression right like there's there's always this exploitation and what would happen if we as the people of god believed you know what it's not going to be like that forever
And even though it's hard now, we can trust that he is making all things new. I can imagine, and I'm sure of it, that there are people who will listen to this and will be uncomfortable with your statements about prostitution being oppression and not a profession. Like I, I can anticipate that there's somebody, they, maybe they'll say something online, our listeners are, are pretty healthy. Yeah. But um, I can imagine somebody going, there's plenty of people, that's what they want to do. They choose to do what they want to do. And it's, and my response is, A, even if that's the case, even if there's a percentage that like they're, you know, I wouldn't say they're healthy, but that they're they're not being coerced into this in any way. Uh, that's a small percentage. And what we're talking about then is about the majority percentage. But that's just an example. I'm curious that that came to my mind. That's an example that came to mind. What have you experienced pushback from Bible believing, quote unquote, evangelical or Southern Baptist churches? Have you experienced pushback from them as you kind of moved forward with this ministry and written the book? Yes. How how could they possibly? <laughs> Sorry. He's like he's like, how, like what kind of question is that? It's my job to ask questions. Okay. Yeah, yeah but they got to be good questions. No, they're good for Steve McCoy, who's listening. He doesn't know anything. You know what? Steve doesn't know anything. Okay. That that actually, you know what? I just saw the text from Steve. Okay. Steve was asking that question. Okay. Joey, thank you. That's very kind of you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to ask on his behalf. There you go. No, that is an actually that's actually a great question and I'm laughing just because you do get a lot of pushback because a lot of people think well there's this this thing right now where there's a lot of people pushing for preach the gospel. Mm-hmm. That's how we fix what's broken around us. We preach the gospel. Sure. Yeah, I'm all for it. I am all for it. Proclaiming the fact that Jesus lived, he died, he rose to make us right mm. with God. I love that. That needs to be said. and that, But it also needs to be demonstrated. I think these are two sides of the same coin. I think we need to proclaim and demonstrate the gospel. But the two are not synonymous. They both need to happen. And so some will say, well, you know, is what you're doing the social gospel? I got that. I had a guy try to get me fired once. I was... I was an assistant director for a major seminary extension center. Mm-hmm. And you want to say which one it was? And there was someone who he was probably listening. So, hey, man, how are you doing? What's up, dog? <laughs> What's <laughs> up, Mike? Way to go. Hope you're doing well, buddy. <laughs> um, but no, but basically. Mike Johnson. He was so. He, I think he was trying to stand up for the faith, but he saw what I was doing with human trafficking as. An adherence to the social gospel. Yeah. And, you know, here's this guy in New York who's speaking in some churches that, you know, may not have signed the abstractive principles. Sure. And so he's looking at that saying, well, you know, I just, I just want to provide Raleigh some counselors. And so he sent to like five people that I reported to. And I, it was super awkward. I asked him to talk. He did not want to talk. <laughs> it would have been a fun conversation. But Ultimately, Raleigh, the last place we want you are in churches where they get things wrong, because then they might learn the truth. <laughs> so don't go to those churches. Well, and it's it's so funny because it's like I think people are well-meaning. Yep. For the most part, sure. they want yeah. to yeah, try, yeah. like especially that they, they want to they want to protect the church. But here's the thing: most of our churches, we're good at protecting ourselves. We're not good at protecting vulnerable people. Mm. We're not good at that. No. We're good at protecting our church from people who could lead us down a bad path. But at the end or of the day... Or public relations. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I mean, that's it. Like, yeah. loving your neighbor is messy. But I think for us to do it, and that's, I've, I think I've said this like two or three times, I think justice and mercy at its core is law. Do this and you will live. And do it perfectly. And a lot of times we can confuse law for gospel. Well, right. I'm doing these good things. And I think people are trying to fight against that. That's well, never yeah. been our approach. My, my approach has always been law exposes sin, mm-hmm. gospel delivers. So, and guess what? Yeah. Law is still law. Yeah. You're still supposed to do justice <laughs> yeah. and love mercy. Yes. You're still supposed... This is what frustrates me. We've actually been called Marxist, which is funny, um, especially since Jimmy actually engineers the Trump train. Um, Listen, I'm but, trying to get him a third term. <laughs> <laughs> What's funny is that if you, if, you, if you don't know, I've signed up Jimmy for everything Trump ever since the 2016 election. 
He didn't vote for Trump, but I've signed him up for everything Trump. He gets Trump flags delivered to his so house. Much, man. It's so awesome. Much. Do you have that Trump Rambo flag? Because I saw that. No, I, I do like not have that. Christmas no. is right around the corner, brother. <laughs> you know what? I want to thank you, Grand Theft yeah. Raleigh, for uh, bringing that up. So um, thanks for giving him ideas. What were we talking about? Nothing. We're talking about something. <laughs> we're talking about. Uh, oh, we've been called Marxist. Uh, yeah, like th- this idea. Thank you, Jimmy. This idea that. Okay, let me just back up. You said there are some people saying just preach the gospel. Well, yes, okay. That is preaching the gospel, making disciples. This is the mission of the church, yes. But now but now, as Christians, as followers of God, as disciples, um, we are supposed to have works that stem from and demonstrate our faith. Mm-hmm. And works. And the Puritans would talk about works of mercy. Right? Yes. So like you, <laughs> and, and the Puritans went at length and even Calvin goes at length to talk about things like your, your job is to love your neighbor, even if they are notorious for wickedness, you are to love them. You are to be kind to them. And uh, it, it, the pushback on some of this stuff is really silly. And so what I'm seeing, what's frustrating, I think what's frustrating, Jimmy and I, we've talked about it, mm-hmm. is that we have some people that were saying, just preach the gospel, don't get involved. And a lot of those people now are just full on in political war mode. So yeah. it's almost like they've given up on the just preach mm-hmm. the gospel while missing some of the things. And now they're, they're, they're less on gospel and they're more on like trying to expose critical race theory or something all yeah, the time, yeah. which fine, we, we can talk about that. And so like, I want our people at like at Redeemer at our church, we want our people to be so grounded in scripture, so grounded in gospel that they are actively looking for ways to live out their faith and, and be, and are given direction for living out their faith in the particular world that we live in, which has, there are no sins that are new, but they tend to manifest themselves in certain cultures at certain times in certain mm-hmm. ways. And so the, we need to be aware of it. And human trafficking, obviously, is a major reality for all of us today, whether we know it or not, because it's there. People are actually hurting. And the thing that I'm I'm betting is that most 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 of the listeners and I feel like, well, okay, you've alluded to this. What am I supposed to do about it? You know, I'm busy, man. I'm busy. I got my own problems. I'm tired. And I don't know anybody who's human trafficked. What am I supposed to do about it? So for the people that are saying, like, there's little to nothing I can do as an individual, what would you say to them? This is one of the reasons I put 100 ways you can fight human trafficking today as an appendices in my book. Nice. As an appendix in my book. Because everyone asks that question. What do we do? I think the best place to start is learn what human trafficking is. Mm. I mean, read a book. Go to polarisproject.org, polaris.org, and learn more about what they're saying about human trafficking. They're seen as an expert in the field. Um, Different federal law enforcement Outlets will have different trainings. There's a lot of training that you can get online. But don't just go by the headlines. Don't just go by what Hollywood says about human trafficking. But that, actually, Was that an Ashton Kutcher dig right there? <laughs> but actually learn. Because <laughs> okay. Ashton Kutcher says a lot about human trafficking. Mm. Yeah, I've actually have friends who, who've partnered with Ashton. And, you know, it's it's been really cool to see how he's worked. So is he doing some good work? He's done some good work. Good, he's, good. he's supported some people who are doing really good work. And awesome. so like his organization, Thorne, is doing good things. But like he's also, and and he doesn't make a big deal about it, but he has really helped some of my friends who That's awesome. are survivors and who are not survivors Great. to like run their organizations. And so it's been it's been pretty amazing how he's done that. But But yeah, like you need to learn about it. Um, probably would help to have the human trafficking hotline number in your phone, which mm. is one eight 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 three seven three seven eight eight eight. If you dial eights and threes and sevens, you'll get there eventually. <laughs> and I think really just putting that in your phone. You could also text "be free," B E F R E E. Now, why why would it be a good idea for somebody to have those numbers in their phone to text or to call on the spot? Why why would that be a good thing? Because a lot of times I'll get this question, hey, you know, I saw this thing happen and I, I just didn't know. I didn't 
I didn't know if they were trafficked or not. You know, I saw someone get grabbed by the arm. What do I do? Well, there's a number you can call. In those situations, you can call 311 or 911. Ask for a welfare check. But if it's more complicated than that, and if you're in a place where you're just noticing a lot of weird activity in your neighborhood, Mm -hmm. there's a house where there's cars coming in, in and out, and there's women or children or just people who are not really allowed to make eye contact or they're never allowed without a guardian outside or they don't have freedom of movement and you're seeing that. And then you have what one of my friends called the uh uh-oh feeling, the, oh, does something seem right? Right, I don't know. There's something wrong. It's better to risk awkwardness than risk someone's life. Mm. So you can call the human trafficking hotline and say, hey, there's, I've been noticing this at this house in my neighborhood or there's this restaurant where, you know, the people keep changing and they, the turnover is just immense and there's something off and there might be exploitation in the back of the house at this restaurant or there's a massage parlor in our community where everyone comes in on a bus and they don't have access to their own cars and they're not allowed to leave. Wow. You know, one of my friends who, when we were starting Let My People Go, he was like, hey, hey, I got to talk to you. And I'm like, what's up? And he goes, because we, we help them think through, all right, who's your most vulnerable neighbor? And in his part of Queens, his most vulnerable neighbor was his um, neighbor who was from an international context, like new immigrant neighbors. And they were giving out coats because it got cold. Not this kind of cold, but it still gets cold in New York. Mm-hmm. And this young woman from Central Asia comes in and in broken English, she explains that she got a job in the neighborhood. And so my friend was so excited for her. He gave her a coat and he he really hoped to see her again, but he didn't want to see her the way he did. Mm. About three months later, someone says, hey, on our community Facebook page, there's a brothel advertising itself. He's like, what? And so he it's a, it's a massage parlor. So he clicks the link. And he sees women in provocative poses, women in provocative poses. And as he's looking, he sees the woman to whom he gave a coat. So he calls me. He's like, what do we do? And I say, you need to collaborate with local law enforcement. So he did. He saw a vulnerability that was exploited. Mm -hmm. He called his local precinct. His local precinct was pretty overjoyed that someone was in the community that was actually excited or wanted to see something happen. So they started parking a police car in front of the massage parlor which was right next to the church. And they said, if it's legit, it won't do anything. If it's illegitimate, though, if it's an illicit massage parlor, things are going to get rough for them. That led to a partnership between this pastor Mm. of a church who he could barely keep his lights on. Right. Small church plant Mm. and the local precinct. And it led to 28 massage parlors shutting down in that community. Wow. I remember walking into... um, Redeemer Presbyterian's building in Manhattan, and the person who was at the desk just said, hey, you work in human trafficking, right? And I'm like, yeah. She didn't know that I'd just done a local news segment <laughs> on this story. But she said, did you hear that 28 massage parlors have shut down in Ridgewood, Queens? She was like, I was in a coffee shop, and this guy was saying, I can't even buy sex in this neighborhood now because I have to go to the next neighborhood over because they've shut them all down. <laughs> and it was all because one church was faithful to right. love their vulnerable neighbor, and they identified them, and they responded. And that was when I realized the Let My People Go model works. Mm. And that's why we're at a place now with Let My People Go, especially in light of COVID, where we're trying to provide the the majority of our services gratis or for free so that churches can have the tools they need to actually get into their community because we we just see that as unbelievably important right now mm. what's tell us about uh the let my people go website l m p go ahead G, joe what's wait, next l, let my l l m p l m p g lmpg.org.org. I got it. I got it. I only need a little bit of help. All right. lmpg.org. Uh, tell us about the website and how people can, you know, connect what kind of resources are there. Um, how do they, how can they benefit from it? And how do they partner? So right now you can go and get several free resources and you can also reach out to us for more resources. We're about to overhaul the website okay. and really 
pivot the organization to kind of meet this new normal. Mm-hmm. Because for a long time, it was I would go to churches and do trainings in churches, and that's just not the world we live in anymore. Now it's everything's online, and so that's the direction we're going. But we're we've had a handbook that we have given to our church partners that pay to partner with us exclusively. And as a result of what's been going on, we are actually making that making that free. And so, mm-hmm. you know, churches can look at that. Now, if they want to partner with us further, if they want consulting or coaching, I mean, we can talk about that. But ultimately, we want the information out there because it's really, it's just a very practical guide that we created in our handbook. Because mm. I really, when I was writing it, I was like, because it reads completely different than the book in that, like, it's for the church rather than the individual Christian. Mm. And so it's more like, what does it look like to create a justice and mercy team? What does it look like to do a community needs assessment? What does it look like to think through policies that protect vulnerable people in your church? How do you identify, empower, protect, and include vulnerable people? And, you know, big hint, we don't push people to create vulnerabilities for or, well, we don't want them to do that. Mm-hmm. We don't push people to create programs for every vulnerability under the sun. We're saying, how can you change the broad approach of your church to where it would be inviting for mm-hmm. people who've experienced trauma, people who are vulnerable, and how can they feel included? Well, we want we we just want to make sure that everybody knows the book is called Vulnerable: Rethinking Human Trafficking. Pick it up at Amazon. We'll have links in the show notes for sure. Now, uh, online though, socially, how could people connect with you? They can go to lmpg.org, mm-hmm. and that's the best way. And they could reach out to me directly through the website. You oh. guys on you guys on like uh, the Twitter? We are. I, we are Facebook. What, what's your handle? LMPG Network on on the Twitter, on the Instagram. L L M P G Network. Yeah. No underscore. I hate no it. number. Why? No. How, no underscore. Just no numbers. Simple. How because long Jimmy, are you Jimmy, use you have his thing is, is like J, and then it's Fowler, and then it's like underscore sixty three tilde. That's what he does. Because he, he doesn't does want people to contact him. I, maybe that is that what you it know, is. That's exactly it. Okay. Well then, well done. Because I'm tired of people tagging me saying. Jimmy, you've got an appointment Wednesday at five o'clock with Joey. He's so touchy. <laughs> he wants people to work for it. He, he does not. Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy wants wants to be left alone. That, that yeah. that's the bio. Jimmy wants to be left alone. So speaking of being left alone, you can follow us online on Instagram and Twitter at Doc and Devo or on Facebook. Did you fix the store? Slash the store wait, broke stop. yesterday. I, I, oh I got to start all over. Nobody again. could even get I the had merch. To start all over all right, again. Go ahead. Fine. All right. You can find us online on Instagram, Twitter, but at did Doc you and the Devo, store? or on Facebook slash Doctrine and Devotion. Mm-hmm. You can head to the website, drvotion.com. There you can oh, contact us. <laughs> you can sign up for the email blast or hit up the store, joefostore.com, and grab Thank some you. gear. Fresh pot every Monday and Thursday. Blog post on Wednesdays. Later.